Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're back. And we're back. I mean, we were back. Yes, Happy New Year. Good on us for having a seamless stream of content through the break. You should know. we begin the year by bragging? I don't think no, that's right. Like, I it, think it, we should say seemingly no interruptions to nope. the content. The service, yeah, there was no, there was no sort of this service will resume at this time next year. Yeah, no, it you just have, like, carried on. Color chroma screens. <laughs> Please we'll be back in 2020. Like when TV, you forget terrestrial TV used to do that in the old days, where they would just stop nothing on. Yeah, yeah. There were um, famous moments where apparently the news in the BBC they had to announce. Good afternoon, everybody. Unfortunately, there is no news. So here is some classical music. Have you seen that? There's a clip. Wow. It's like at some point in the 70s. And now I feel like you, like behind that was Rupert Murdoch, like smoking a cigar, saying yes. there is no such thing <laughs> as no news. Oh, you're slightly Australian. Is it? There's no news. such news. Yeah. There's no news. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we did record last week. Well, last week's episode did go out, but this is the first time you and I have sat down and recorded mm. and seen each other in two and a half weeks. Rare so, for so, us. So happy new year, I guess. Happy new year, yeah. Belated Feeling thing. good? Yeah, nice, nice break. It was uneventful, and I mean that in the m- most brilliant way. Yeah, completely uneventful. No stimulus, no stimuli. All I did nice was watch films. Christmas in the year, wasn't it? In general, in life. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just cycling my head for all the famine and war going on yeah, in the world. Yeah. Uh, sure, in your little <laughs> yeah. bubble. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but are you well? Yeah, fine. Um, it's dark. It's still really dark here. Yeah, it's dark and miserable. It's January. So, um, but. That's the film watching season. That's what I found. Mm. And, you know, when the weather gets like this, you just go, well... I'll go see a film. I mean, look, I'll, I'll talk about it later, but it was it's awful, awful weather while we were recording this, and it was yesterday. Yeah. So I watched five episodes of The Offer back-to-back. Yes. Not back-to-back, back, a little bit of breaks, but, like, smash through it. So I will talk about that later. Mm. It's the season for watching stuff. I watched The Pale Blue Eye, which is, like, a very mm. cold, yes. sterile, frosty... Like, I got it's winter. cold watching yeah, it, yeah. and I, was like, I feel like it's a really unfair criticism of film to be like, well, it's cold outside, <laughs> so therefore I'm not necessarily in the mood to watch it. But, like, it was... Uh, it's, I actually liked it for what it did with this atmosphere. Cool. No, I, 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 it. I, it's I, interesting to be, like, really cold blue I, film in the cold No, blue. I do. I think I think if it's a summery film, it should be in summer, and if it's a wintry film, you should watch it in winter. Like then food it, and produce. And then you've got, like, almost, like, a 360... Yeah. perspective on it anyway <laughs> you can tell we haven't spoke to each other in a while <laughs> <laughs> oh i've just oh spilled my, my tea oh god. oh god well um i watched a lot of films mm. as you can expect i watched 12 films <laughs> outrageous Out- you did well <laughs> and you and you watched nothing did you well i watched i watched a couple of things i watched the before films which we'll yes. need to pick up you well need to have a chat and get go through those congratulations um, on doing your i homework. watched i had some very long flights and some long layovers and i watched the bear which I'll go okay. on to. Everyone's been raving about it. And I was that your travel watch? That was like my, my travel watch. Yeah. And then um, the reason I haven't watched that much is I played God of War Ragnarok, <laughs> which is not, this is not my video game podcast. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't exist. But yeah, it just took some time. And uh, yeah, I'm seeing Empire of Light tomorrow. Great. Okay. Mom and Dad, that should be good. Okay. Well, I think you a bit. You know, well, well, no, I'm just saying that like, great, because I look forward to hearing your opinion. And, yeah. Like, um, podcast. Podcasting. <laughs> We're oh. so aimless right now. Oh, what are we doing? Let's get on and talk about some films. So George, what were the 12 that you watched? Well, James. On the first day of <laughs> Christmas. 
No, nothing ordered like that. Uh, well, were you just like in a bunker under a blanket watching films, just like with your eyes pinned? I open, don't understand. Or was it, like part of the family watching part it. Part of the or, family. I don't, yeah. I, when people have been like, "Wow, you watch twelve films," I'm like, well, "What else are you doing? It's Christmas. The weather's <laughs> yeah. shite." Um, in the same way that people were like, eat a lot of food, drink a lot of wine. Yeah. We watch a lot of films because we don't. What we really hate watching like crap Christmas TV. It makes yeah. you feel quite depressed. So my um, sorry before we go in, my all of us were sick at Christmas. Oh, it was I'm like sorry. that lurgy that everyone had. We all came in like we were meant to have some cousins over and some other people. Everyone cancelled because they were sick. My oldest sister was like properly going down and she binged watched the Paddingtons. Brilliant. And I was sort Medicinal. of like dipping in and out and, mm. I, and she was like, "Oh, are they good?" And I was like, "Are they good? <laughs> are they good?" <laughs> and I was like, "Paddington one, you're gonna love. You're not ready." Paddington <laughs> two, no. Yeah, did it? Did much. it make it feel better? Uh, yeah, I think so. But okay. she's mostly just, and then like, I'm like, you know, making this turkey, like tears streaming down my face. <laughs> like everyone's just. My mom's like, I don't want to be ill. So yeah, no one, I, everyone I, was sleeping. I, I think like if you if you I, I I get tasked like throughout the year, people say add this to the list for Christmas, George. And right, when it gets yes. to Christmas, George like they're like, George, what films have we Your got? Brother was very. He barks at you. Yeah, he does. He's just like, well, and I'm like, okay, I have got running order. And you know what? And, and that made up uh, a big part of the list. So I'll just pull it up for you. Well, there was a running theme. I, I had about, there was like five films that I thought were safe bets. Instead yeah. of trying to like watch all the big masterpieces because that can be very divisive in a room of five, six people, right? Yes. And these are films you missed out on. Yeah, exactly. Films Last I haven't seen before. Watches. We want to watch new ones. So these are modern films, right? And basically I decided to go for sort of solid mid-tier films that are targeted at the grey pound, right? Yeah. That are targeted at like our parents' generation. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, first of all, I got home and we, we watched Rewatch for me. They'd never seen it before. We watched Stand By Me. Oh, lovely. And one th- yeah, no, nothing really other to say other than that it was great. And mm-hmm. also 90 minutes. Is it? It's a great 90 I minute film. I would not have thought that's a 90 minute film. Me neither. But... Love that. Okay. Then we watched See How They Run. Okay. Which yeah. you reviewed last year. Yeah, I think, think uh, I thought it was fine. Great to look at. Oh. Great cast. Incredibly stylish. That's Witty here sure and there. Anyway. I really do think it was a stretch. Starting to stretch there. It was, it, to be honest, it was very, very thin. And a bit weak. It just about got away with it, if I'm being kind. But I did think it was, uh, you know, pulling. Um, do, do you know what I mean cruising. about like for a film that seemed so aware of the who done it, and like that, like seemed to really and, and, and unpack it. And the actual mystery in the end, I wasn't that no. like impressed with. That's no. what I felt like it was really missing, like a real injection of something different something because clever. it was seemed yeah. to be so clever because it looks so clever and it, and it, and it present, It's so style. It's classic yeah. case, so stylish. But actually, the substance. And Adrian Brody like um, doing the voiceover in the opening. Yeah. I was like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm kind of in now. And then just and then Sam Rockwell. I was like, is there going to be a reason he's talking like this the whole time? Yeah. Is the fact that he's just like, yeah. no, that's just who he is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's. Fine. I think really it depends what, how what kind of mood you're in. If you're in a really positive mood, you probably take it quite lightly. If you're not, I don't think you'll have a lot of patience for it. But that was my takeaway. Uh, oh, right. So there were there were three films we watched that were all about plucky British outsiders taking on the establishment. Okay, okay go on. And they were the Lost King, the Duke, and the Phantom of the Open. Heard okay. of them? Maybe not. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah. again, like I can say, safe middle ground, grey pounds targeting yeah. films. Okay. So The Lost King is was with Sally Hawkins and Harry Lloyd and Steve Coogan, and it's about, you know, how they found Richard III nice. in a car park, right? Mm. That's, a, that's you know, a, one a of really the really cool interesting story. history stories of the past 10 years. And if you're an international listener, Richard III, famous King Richard, who obviously uh, immortalized uh, in uh, Shakespeare's yeah, play, great Shakespeare's didn't play. have a grave. And then through 
uh, lots of research, they found, they uncovered his body in a car park in Leicester. Not by accident, because I told my girlfriend, she was like, oh, well, yeah, they just discovered it. I was like, no, 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 no. They were just like digging for something. And yeah. they just found, she's going to hate the fact I said that. But anyway, <laughs> um, and I was watching it. And first of all, I didn't realize, I thought the university was leading the whole thing. It was their study and they, they'd found it. But actually, it's much more stranger than that. Mm. It is a woman, it was a woman in Glasgow, no, a woman in Edinburgh, who was working in like sales and just became very detached and just became obsessed with Richard III. And it's kind of like a midlife that. crisis thing. And you realize there's this whole community about how the Shakespeare play is like, they call it um, Tudor propaganda. It's it like completely um, tarnishes Richard III. He actually did a lot of good. Um, and you know she's not believed by a lot of people because she's a woman and also like for example she has ME which a lot of people like snare at she has to keep saying no I'm really tired it's it's a real disease and in the same way when she says to people no I'm looking for Richard I'm looking for Richard III um, they go right okay sure Um, it's it's, it's a very very interesting story and that's on the whole I'd say it's it's worth watching for that I know there's a documentary out as well similar to that Um, the only thing that's a little bit wonky about it is that she keeps having these visions of Richard she talks to Richard what's his face Um, Harry Lloyd who's in Game of Thrones Um, but uh, a that is that for me the lost king was like the most solid afternoon watch it's yeah. like a good enough interesting story with good actors well it's directed by stephen frears so it's just like very well presented i remember doing richard the third in like year nine english literature and mm. i remember seeing the great ian mckellen do a fantastic really? adaptation oh, wow. of richard the third which would have been from the i think judy dench is in it as well wow, so yeah. do you go and seek that out if you're wondering all about richard the third mm. very much enjoyed that i saw a uh, martin freeman play richard the third oh that'd in be 2014 he was very On good stage? yeah 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 it was all set in the 70s but he was oh. really good he was because you know he's all sort of like he can be really slimy yeah yeah it was very good so that was good and then the other ones about the plucky plucky british outsiders was the duke which was roger michelle's last film roger michelle directed notting hill and my cousin rachel and much mm-hmm. else besides and uh that died very suddenly which is very sad he made the duke which is again based on this true story about a plucky british outsider um working class jim broadbent um steals a painting uh, from the That's National the Gallery, one. and he hides it. And Helen Mirren, Helen Mirren doing like that. Ellen, oh, uh, you know, I'm from Newcastle, really sort of wide uh, accent. She's <laughs> I really just attempting. Picture that. But I know. Um, Story, and you know, he brings it back, and and uh, and you know, it's this idea of taking on the establishment by stealing the painting. Uh, it's actually. Re- it's, that's a 90 minute film and it was stretched like we, really? were like we were like that should have been a one hour bbc tv special yeah. and a push however jim broadman's very good now the other one was uh the phantom of the open which was recommended to me by someone and it's perfectly fine again star sally hawkins and mark rylands based on a true story about this sally go- hawkins really does play that like ordinary british yes she does. Yeah, that. Yeah. Like, slightly just- slightly um offbeat small acts of kindness go a long yeah. way that's uh, raincoat thing. and wellies and um yeah and like paddington, paddington yeah, yeah. So uh, the Phantom of the Open is Mark Rylance playing this guy from the 70s called Morris Flitcroft. He basically got himself into the PGA, like professional golf tournament, uh, the British Open. I'm yes. sorry, I don't know golf very well. I'm probably missing. <laughs> but like, he's, he was a complete amateur. He was a, he was a, um, a dock worker. And yeah. he, just, he was just like, well, I'm just, they're all getting laid off. And he's like, I'm going to be a golfer. And he managed to get himself into the PGA, even though he was not very good at golf. And he mm. became like this urban myth. And he would always try to get into the uh, tournaments. Anyway, um, it's, it's directed by Craig Roberts, who did, who was the guy in Submarine, right? Okay, yeah. The kid in that. And, uh, you know, perfectly well presented. I think Mark Rylance makes it all kind of work, but it was fine. I'm not saying you need to rush out and see it, but it's the kind okay. of thing, again, solid mid-afternoon uh, fodder. And then there kept being like these 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 um, themes running through our uh, the things we were watching, right? So I've watched the two films with Sally Hawkins, the three films about a... Uh, 
plucky British outsider taking on the establishment. The other film we watched was The Outfit. So another Mark yes, Rylance Mark, film. Yeah. So this came out like early last year. It might have passed a lot of people by. Really solid, neat concept film, which is basically, could be basically a play. Mark Rylance playing another very softly spoken, detail-oriented, yes, quiet, yeah. unassuming, Absolutely. polite, very yeah. polite. Yeah. But, but there's more going on behind yes. his eyes. So he plays a tailor, or as he says in it, I'm a cutter. I'm not a tailor, it's just dress people. I'm a cutter. I'm a takes... cutter, not a tailor. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he works in his shop in Chicago in the 50s, and uh, he works there with his assistant, Zoe Deutsch, and um, Dylan O'Brien and Johnny Flynn and the mobsters who use his... Uh, um, you know, shop as a uh, drop dropbox place yeah. um anyway something bad he's there late at night something bad happens dylan o'brien rushes in he's been shot and johnny flynn's there there's a whole mobster so thing happening up. yeah exactly <laughs> terrible things happening there's a crime war happening it's a boiler boiler room kind of uh, setup um and it could have been really hammy but i tell you what it was actually really really efficient yeah. Every, everyone we were all very engaged in it perfectly solid again mark ryan it's great great period detail simon russell beale comes in at one point you're like yes i like that playing the other mobster um yeah I like really to think really... that mark ryan did a daniel day lewis butcher type thing where i just yeah. want i would love him to just see spend like nine months in savile row working in the back <laughs> just like playing with little bits of yarn and sewing up little buttons yeah yeah I, just I, to I get into it, it. But, i mean I'm, I'm kind of barreling through these because i don't want to you know labor them too much but because someone recommended that to me at work the outfit and i was yeah. like okay i thought it looked a bit weak but actually it's perfectly solid neat a to z you're hitting a good like uh tone for your christmas your like lazy christmas yes. you hit the right kind engaging of... enough to yes. be interesting but but not like dist- you're not like you need to really like occupy exactly. all your attention it's not going it. to exhaust yeah. you watching you finish it and you go that was quite interesting wasn't it yeah okay cool who's for cake yeah that's the kind yeah. of film we were after Okay, uh, and then uh, having watched all those Who's for Cake films, we did actually fancy something gritty. So I'd never seen it, so I watched The Fighter. Oh, yeah. So we talked yeah, about yeah. David O. Russell when we mm-hmm. went to see Amsterdam last year, and The Fighter was my big blind spot, and I watched it, and yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, yeah. I remember the bit, it was huge at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, Melissa Leo won for Best Supporting Actress, Christian Bale won for Amy Best Supporting Adams Actor, in, uh... Amy Adams. Uh, Christian Bale for me is, is the reason to watch the film. Oh, yeah. It's he, really... I think if you take him out, it's not really as interesting. It does like that sort sort of really sort of out there, wide-eyed, yeah. like, like, whoa. He's always kind yeah. of ducking he's and weaving. I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I remember that that dialogue style being really like quite, that yappy sort of, everyone's just loud and yeah. brash. And, and when it opens, he's got that kind of, it's quite, he's like, a, he's just a very tragic figure because yeah. he's just like so animated, but you know, it's because he's ill, you know, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's an addict. He's not looking after himself. Very so thin as well for that role. Incredibly, but um, that's, so that's why I thought of the fighter. Mm-hmm. Solid, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the reason to watch it, okay? Mark Wahlberg. Fine, but almost, a, su- the al- almost a supporting character in his yeah, own yeah. film, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I watched Last Night in Soho, which um, we've been sort of kicking I around for a while. meaning we, to watch it, right. but I haven't yet. So that came out like just as we were starting the podcast back in 2021. I think yes. it just missed us, right? Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about Edgar Wright a few times mm-hmm. and we, you know, we, we, we fans of his work. I love the Cornetto trilogy a little bit. Love the Cornetto trilogy. He's got Pilgrim and I like the, the Sparks documentary he made. But I, yeah, Time of Christmas. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try and mm. I'll watch The Last Night. So it looks, it's under two hours. I'll yeah. whack it Great on. Great cast. Very good cast. Thomas McKenzie, Annie Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, Terrence Stamp, Diana Rigg. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I started watching it and I was immediately like, great, you know, Edgar Wright's back, visually interesting, visually mm. stylish, great, great needle drops of 60s music. It's all, you know, 
fashion fashion student moves to London and, and, and she's obsessed with Soho in the 60s and stuff. And, you know, the vague premise where it's like, oh, it's, I keep getting flashbacks to the past. In the nighttime, I dream. Um, anyway, it starts off quite interesting. There's, uh, it, it's going along okay. Um, and then, like, there's a bit where there's some students in it. Mm. And I'm like, hmm, this student dialogue is a little bit wonky. It's, it? You know when you're, you're like, has, this per- has Edgar Wright actually spent time with young people? Is it an Edgar Wright uh, original? He wrote the screenplay, yeah. which is interesting because if you actually look at most of his projects, they're not, apart from Baby Driver, they're all written with other people or based off existing thing, aren't right, they? Right, okay. Um, it's completely written by him. And, like, there's some students, and, and the way that the students do banter and do stuff, I'm just like, oh, that's just, just not how people talk, is yeah. it? Um, it's like he overheard someone on the bus and based it all off of that. Um, and then it gets really, really, really bad. Really? And really bad. Like two thirds in, halfway through? Halfway or? through. Yeah. Halfway through. And then it's like a sliding scale to the point that I watched it with my mom and we were just like, she was furious at how bad really? it was. She was so impatient. She was basically halfway off the sofa, ready to leave. <laughs> like we were watching it. I mean, I knew it was, I knew it got silly, but it's just such a yeah, again, it's, it's Edgar Wright writing on his own, directing on his own. Someone needed to come in and say, yeah, that doesn't look scary. That looks really, really stupid. Oh. Um, that's not really intriguing enough. This whole premise is too, it's so specific and weird. You need to, it needed someone else, someone else's blood in there to make it worthwhile. It's, it, I, I, it made me really sad and I was, I was laughing at it. It's really, wow. I, I got it. There is a heightened campness to that film, which makes total sense yeah. in that he's doing a giallo, which is like the Italian uh, melodrama horrors like Dario Argento. And that's definitely in that. I get it. Mm. But it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, uh, it's interesting because Edgar Wright seems, if you'd asked me a long time ago, I'd have said like, yeah, he does like quirky stylistic comedy, but he seems to really be wandering into lots of different genres. Yes, and I'm it, not at all against that. Absolutely but not. I almost feel like he's, you know, hearing, you know, you say that about this film, like has, does he maybe need to focus in on something more at home to what he's doing. Like, is he sort of trying to grasp at loads of different things? Because Baby so. Driver really put him on that like big British filmmaker map. He had huge Hollywood cast, big budget. Do you know what it is? It's like, it's a bit like with Don't Worry Darling. I'm like, I really wanted this to work because it's yeah. a r- original. Cool And idea. it's got like original premise and it almost falls down for the same reasons. It's like, mm. it's just derivative of so many other things. There's, there's not an actual idea, idea in here other than I wanted to, to flesh out something. But... Um, I will, obviously, I will continue to watch Edgar Wright films, and, I, yeah. and I'm, I'm glad he got to make the film that he wanted to make. I believe he, this is what and reviews he at the to time do. were like completely split. split. And look, he's got like a seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's been really. Kind. I just, think, I just Rotten think Tomatoes. I, that's kind. I think, I think you, you know, when a film loses you, this yeah. is the other thing. The film like lost me about an hour and twenty in, and and, okay. I, and I was like, okay, it must be wrapping up now. And the last like third is just just endless. It goes on off like forty minutes. And it does that thing I really dislike where it takes a, specifically a, a female character and gives them nothing to do um, other than be hysterical and scream. Mm. So poor Thomas and Mackenzie spends the last third just being like, <gasps> ah, ah, like, like in Don't Worry Darling with Florence mm. Pugh, just reacting to stuff. Ah, what's this? No, go away. Ah. I'm like, I, mean, I guess there's a lot of dream shadows. logic in I, there as well, yeah. Uh, it was infuriating. Anyway, moving on. So on the on the not quite, but on the spectrum of Mother Jennifer Lawrence, like where she's just reacting. Yeah, but I would I got more out of Mother. I thought uh, right, I, I got yeah. more out of Mother. Yes, she is. That is a very good uh, comparison. Mother, I was like, there are probably so many deep religious ideas here that I cannot be asked to actually. Get but also into. with Mother, I was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I, like, I, yeah, religion. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, Cain and Abel coming in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. It's not like you know, but there's a deep thing. No, no, I. I got I'm it. Not interested in looking deeper. Um, all right. Anyway, and then I just a couple of other ones. 
a similar on the tea time afternoon. That nice with the cup of cake. Nice mm. cup of cake. Nice with the uh, slice of cake was the. Um, <laughs> you just <laughs> for any of you wondering, um, George is uh, referencing his letterboxd account, which is linked below if you want to see what films. Yes, I'm scrolling through it as I as I as I do this. This, po- this weekly podcast isn't enough. You can s- you can just stalk George's everything. It's <laughs> everywhere George parts. Yes, George and Pop I used on, it before uh, the podcast existed. So if you ever see a review and you're like, how come you only gave that two and a half? I'm like I don't know because I probably watched. Scroll other- back through his history and then write in about some film you reviewed don't, in 2020. Don't, do that. don't be a troll. Um, yeah, I watched Operation Mincemeat, which and, is right in that line. Yeah. And uh, Johnny Flynn turned up in that. And so did Simon Russell Beale. I'm like, is yeah. everyone just on the same? Like, uh, they've discovered a, a genre. It's like a group. It's like a WhatsApp group yeah. of people you bring in for this. We're doing the mid-afternoon uh, tea yeah. slot. Um, look, you spoke about Operation Mincemeat last year. It's not. I don't really have much to say about it other than that. It's fine. I think if you took the romance out of it, which you said was misplaced, yeah. that film would be 40 minutes long. Because it is weirdly misplaced. It's a great right? idea. It's a great premise in it. But like, once you've kind of got it and you yeah. know what they're doing you could read it in 10 minutes did you sort of like that there's that bit where it ramps up and you're understanding how precious it was to get that information through you know like the briefcase yes, and things moving yes, through. And I'm I like, like oh this is almost like a little bit and the people in Spain and I like yeah, yeah, yeah that was like, good that was kind of almost on the verge of getting me really excited and then it just never quite hits yeah. the level and then it sort of ends you're like okay fine uh, that's that and then bodies 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 oh yeah which um, I've been waiting for you to so, because I was really keen to watch that. I was really keen to watch that in about September time. And it's just, it's just slipped away for ages. And I, you did your review. Thank you yeah. very much. And now I finally caught up and finally went and watched it. And I was so disappointed. Oh, no. I was so crushed at okay, how well. weak I thought this film was. Yeah. Look, it's, it's got this very interesting, playful concept at its heart about a game turned wrong. It's this kind of fun house horror aspect, you know, people running around in the dark and discovering mm. bodies. It's got this quirky modern edge with like you've got things about sexuality and uh um, difference between age in relationships yeah Yeah. gen z and the way that people talk to each other um i just didn't i i found it it wasn't scary or thrilling no it wasn't um i didn't find it very funny and i i just found like the so when when shit hits the fan Mm. the way that the characters behaved or interacted i was like this is not how people this is not i get a bit like how i said with the other film this is not how people would react in this situation i'm like why why is this why are people going in this direction with this when surely the thing that would happen if this happened you would i i I just none of it rang true yeah um so it wasn't very thrilling which i was kind of hoping it would be first and foremost Mm. um and then increasingly characters made decisions i just thought that's just really stupid and annoying and a bit um, again, it, it, all the all the characters spent the last uh, well, it's only an hour and a half movie, so they spent an hour of the film going, "What? No, I don't. Is that you? What?" And I was like, "Oh, that's really boring." After a while, right, and then yeah. you have like um, an argument, which is like, "I'm going to say Gen Z stereotype against your Gen Z stereotype," and then we're yeah. going to flip it. But it's going to be funny. But we're going to play it straight. Um, I just thought, I thought it was just really weak, not 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 scary, not funny, not engaging, a waste of its premise, a waste of its talent. And um, I, did, I found the ending very disappointing. That was the one bit I thought, oh, I see, so that's the idea you've gone with there. Okay, oh, so I found I that a bit it. flat, but I, I sort of enjoyed a little bit watching the. I agree with you. I know what you mean. The decision making is a bit off, but I enjoyed the way in which everyone tries to make it a little bit about themselves and yeah. is this sort of frame of how like different people react in crises. But do you not watch that and think, oh, here we go? I was a rubber husband, like, okay, shit's about to hit the fan, and then it kind of like <sighs> just falls in its face. Yeah, I, I concur. Anyway, sorry. So, bodies, bodies, bodies. I was sadly. Uh, is that the twelve? That's the twelve. Well I mean, I, 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 no, I, I also watched Confess Fletch, but I, uh, which I thought was perfectly fine, but I was really nodding off in the first hour. Not right. 
I don't think it's the films. Uh, I'm not, I don't think it was the film that was doing that. I think it was all the cheese. <laughs> no, I think it was just eating cake. I think, from you a know, mark. like when you've had a Christmas is actually also quite busy. You've seen a lot of family. You've done a lot of stuff. Yeah, you've eaten crap food, and your body's just like just. And you've watched a lot of films. My mm. brain's like, I've got so much information. Could you just and mm. the, you know? And I just dimmed off a bit. Anyway, nice. So sorry, that was my very very quick run through of mm. the films I've watched over Christmas. I thought we needed to get that out there because otherwise we would spend it. weeks going, "Oh, I didn't tell you I watched this." Yes, oh my God, no, I didn't no. tell you I liked I watched a little this. recap. Um, there you go. What I'll talk about you? the bear very quickly. Okay. The bear is, um, you know, about the bear and what it is. It's a show that came out on uh, FX, but was available to us on Disney Plus, and it's all about. It's very similar to a Boiling Point, okay. and it's. Um, or Boiling Point, as the film was called. What did I call it? A Boiling Point. A Boiling Point. That's like a 1940s. I know, yeah. Uh, a, it's boiling, a Boiling Point. It's a Boiling Point. It's got Stephen Graham. Okay. The Bear has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now, because I just Googled it. That is probably yeah, I've, too I've high. I've seen it get mad hype online. So The Bear is a show created uh, by someone called Christopher Storer. And um, it's all about this guy called Carmen or Carmi. And he is a uh, very well-respected trained chef who, you know, until the start of this show worked in like the highest caliber of restaurants, Michelin stars making like high pristine fine dining. And um, the beginning of this uh, show, you sort of know that his brother has, who ran, who was also a chef, but used to run this like gritty Chicago, like beef sandwich star shop, like equally delicious, but like completely different style of food. His brother um, killed himself and he left him this uh, beef sandwich shop called the original Chicago uh, to him and his will. And he comes back into his like old life in Chicago and he sees like everyone working in the shop and it's just like a complete mess. The whole place is a state. There's crippling debt. The place is dirty. Like there's no order of service. And he's almost like dealing with his own alcoholism and depression, trying to process his brother's right. death and also like keeping together like all of these things in his life. It loves to do these long, um, you know, takes where like similar to boiling point where it like sweeps through the kitchen you're seeing the hectic energy of like how you keep this all going and in the first couple of episodes there's this whole idea that there's no money coming in and in order to actually buy the beef that he needs to make the sandwich for that day he has to sell a pair of jeans in his flat so he can pay that guy but he doesn't have enough money for napkins but he needs like something and it's almost wow. like he's living like every second to every second yeah. and he's got like new members of staff coming in who want to try and like invigorate it and, like well we should be doing like uber eats and delivery and he's like i can't and it has these little flashbacks where his brother's played by John Bernthal and you see oh, like the great. type of character. Who, well, I think there's only one scene with John Bernthal. He's the king like, of the one scene cameo. Oh yeah, yeah, he loves it. And he comes in and he's like really energetic and macho, but like soft and emotional. And um, everyone in this show is kind of hurting and processing that grief in a different way. And um, what, what immediately makes this show, I think, really good and why it's successful is that it has that sense where you're seeing characters and I really believe they existed before I started looking at them. That sense, I never got the sense that they just spawned because the TV show happened. Yeah. I really do believe that like, these people know each other and like, that person has lived a life. And uh, the guy who plays Carmen is the character, uh, an actor called Jeremy Allen White, who I think is going to be a really big star. He's so fantastic in this and he just wears so much grief and fatigue mm. on his face in everything that he does. And the camera loves to just like focus on like his sweaty hair, his greasy, his greasy t-shirt and like everything that's going on in his mind. But like, there's no time to be sad because mm. like you've got service. There was this one episode, which I was, I was watching this on, on my iPad on a plane and it was episode seven, I think. And it's, so some of the episodes are 45 minutes long. Some of them are like 22 minutes long. So okay. it's really just experimenting with different things. And there's this scene when, uh, 
like basically everything goes wrong. I'm not going to spoil it. And it's, I think it was an 18 minute long take in this episode. It was like a play and yeah. a sequence. And what happened was so stressful when I realized what was going on. I had to pause it, look out my play window and just take a deep breath and wow. be like, everything's going to be okay. I was like, uh, I just couldn't believe like what was happening and the way in which this this thing didn't cut. And I realized, oh my God, we've not cut for like 15 minutes. And I scrolled, I scanned back at the episode just to see like wow. how long ago it was when they cut. And it was just, uh, it was so well crafted. I can't imagine how much work goes into like putting off a sequence mm. like that. And just like the stress levels of all these different things going on. And if you do like, if you liked Boiling Point, yeah. this is like a, a much more American, but like very Equally different style American, of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just really um, believe in these people. And I, I, I think they're doing a season two and I, I really can't wait. And all the other characters, I think are equally brilliant in it. This sounds great. You completely sold it to me. Yeah. And I've, I've been wanting to watch it for a while, but look, new year, new series, I'm all for it. Yeah. You said you were surprised that it got has got sort of the hype that it has. Is there like do you have a reservation about it? Then? It's very good. It's it's very fantastic. I think it's like a show I will look out for yeah. its next season. hundred percent. It's like it's like a perfect score. It's okay, really yeah. but, you, but it's definitely worth a, a, a good a good score. I think this is like a small. This is like a small show that has really struck a mark with a lot of people. And okay. I think it could potentially like develop, if they have a really good idea of where they want to take it, mm. it could develop into something really special. And I hope its idea extends oh, beyond like a little, little, one it's season. It's a little thing yeah. at the moment that's it, just going to grow. If the one season had just been the one season, it kind of works as a story. Good. But like, no, they're doing a season two, see, I know, yeah, yeah. Because it's a hit and it's so it's hard to hit. get a hit these days. So like, there's these things where like he, he doesn't, he owes this some guy like something like over $300,000 that his brother took yeah. out debts to pay for stuff. So he's having to do like catering for kids' birthdays parties and like host oh um, like bachelor office bros in his restaurant and yeah. they have to just deal with these problems like there are like guys dealing drugs outside their shop and they don't want to piss them off so they're like trying to like what if we offer them sandwiches and tell them to go to the other side of the street yeah. and it's like all these different things when you're trying to just focus on cooking food yeah. um, and then there's this uh, this young girl who comes and gets hired who's played by um, her name is Ayo Edebiri I apologize if I haven't pronounced that correctly and she's an actor I think we should really look out for she plays this young aspiring chef who sort of recognizes that Kami is like this you know has this background in like ultra high mission and star service and she wants to really impress and is coming up with new ideas and things she wants to do and ways in which we should you know be mm. using modernizing stuff and they have this really interesting dynamic where like he wants to try and help her and perfect her but also like he doesn't have the time. Yeah. Maybe she's not good enough. And oh, brilliant. it's just just great little relationships, little moments. Like something someone said in like in the kitchen a while ago, you won't really pick up on, and then later it becomes really relevant. Just really good TV Fantastic. that I've been meaning to get to. Oh, great. Well, I'm definitely gonna watch that. Thank you. That's a yeah. good good recommendation. Yeah. Speaking of TV, quickly, another thing I watched was uh in a space of about four days, I watched two whole seasons of Emily in Paris. I've done okay, a lot of yeah. binging this. My girlfriend's um, a very big fan. Yes, it's yeah. you know, a huge show that very I've big. never engaged with, but mm. I I was, you know, it was I was staying at my girlfriend's and it was like it was just the most agreeable thing for us all to watch. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm aware it's a massive show. I'm always up for watching something else. Let's see what it's all about. Yeah. It um and it, Emily in Paris, you know, when it came out, there was so much backlash against it, and lots of articles saying ah, it's just full of stereotypes, and it's just you know, it's, it's so insulting, and it's like yeah, 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 yeah. The, we know, and the show knows. The show knows that this that uh, the only reason for you to watch this for um this series is how attractive the people are, how good the costumes are, how clean and ungrubby mm, Paris looks, yes. which we know is not the case. A polished interpretation yeah. of the city is always, and yeah. unbusy and trafficless Paris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and for how well the food is and the lifestyle these people live. You know, every single scene, mm. every single character will be wearing a different item of clothing, completely different wardrobes. No that you will outfits. never see that again. No yeah. repeated outfits. And they're always like, 
thousand dollar outfits. In the bear, he wears one white yeah. t-shirt the entire show. <laughs> there you go. What yeah. a contrast, right? Yeah. And the thing is with Emily in Paris, it is a souffle. It is a croissant. It Very is nice. a um, macaroon of a show. It mm. fully understands that you're engaging with this on a on a on a sweet superficial level. The story is not dumb enough to insult your intelligence. It's actually pretty low stakes. Mm. That, that's how, how I think it gets away with it. It's not trying to do massively big drama things where you go, that, that's a bit of a leap. It's like, oh, you know, I kind of fancied the person downstairs, but he's like in love with someone else. But also we're trying to get this brand on board. And literally Lily Collins dialogue is like, something, 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 brand engagement. Something, 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 <laughs> outreach. Something, 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 Dark social media. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's perfectly chippy and chirpy. And look, makes you feel happy. Totally. It, it, it's so, what I found with it is that, uh, I, exactly, I was expecting to watch it and go, oh God, this is boring, dull, badly made. Mm. And stuff. But it's not. It's um, incredibly watchable. Nice. Incredibly easy to watch. Incredibly um, breezy. Yeah. Um, yes, I totally understand why some people don't like it and that's fine. Or if some people hate it. But the fact is, this show knows exactly what it's doing. It knows, exactly, it knows its audience exactly. Mm. And it's, there's a reason that it's been a big hit. It's like custom built for it. Um, so, so I'm all fine with that. And, and do you know what? I knew I was, I knew it kind of got under my skin because um, I was like, oh, don't say anything else. I don't want to, I don't hear spoilers. Uh, you know, my, my, my yeah. girlfriend was talking about it. I was like, oh no, don't, don't, don't tell me. I want to know what happens with that. Um, Talia loaded that, the new season up on her phone, like yeah, something like eight episodes. And she literally watched on like an eight hour flight, just did the whole thing. I was yeah. like, how was your flight? She's like, I watched all of Emily in Paris. Yeah, you <laughs> like, can do. Because it's, 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 it's like purpose built for that. So yeah. um Hats off to it. No snobbery with me here. No. No shame. If you no. don't like it, fair enough. But. Hey, if you want a nice little snobby film, you can come watch The Pale Blue Eye. Isn't it nice that Netflix can have like The Pale Blue Eye, like Scott Cooper, Christian yeah. Bale, like dark, gritty, like crime thriller. And then you've got Emily in Paris. It's all there mm. for you. James, new Christian Bale movie out on Netflix. What's going on? Yeah, The Pale Blue Eye um, came out this week. It's sort of ja- frosty January mm. release. And it stars Christian Bale and Harry Melling. And it is uh, written and directed by Scott Cooper. Right. Fan of Scott Cooper's stuff? Very mixed. Uh, yeah. I've, I've not seen Out of the Furnace. I've not... I've seen Black Mass, which I thought was really, yeah, really poor. Really a couple it, of great scenes, but not... A great cast as well. But very good cast. It was so full of itself and of its own portent. But I was like, this really isn't good enough. I thought um, it was going to be really good. And then I watched it. Actually, Johnny Depp had like that real like transformation with the blonde hair. Yeah, but, yeah, but he looks, back it face. didn't look like a human. That was my <laughs> problem. It's like the eyes. Yeah, it looked like, like an alien. Yeah. Um, actually, so I've only seen that and I've seen Hostiles, which again, I thought was flawed. And actually, if you I, judging the consensus about a lot of Scott Cooper films, I always get this like interesting ambition, but flawed. So he made Out the Furnace, which I've heard was like, Great cast, mm. good setup, but again, then gets really first. silly. It gets really silly. Then he made Black Mass, what I just said. Um, he made Hostiles again, uh, flawed falls apart. Great cast. Uh, and then he made Antebellum. Uh, no, Antebellum. Sorry, I have seen Out of the Furnace. Which but I don't um, <laughs> Antebellum came out, I think, during the pandemic. It had Janelle Monae in it, uh, yes. and it was like that kind of horror thing where it's, it's like cross between the Deep South and the eighteen hundreds. Okay, and the modern day. And I, I again, that kind of sank like a stone. I was expecting that film to be a lot bigger, and now he's come out with the Pale Blue Eye. So I'm always like, is he gonna strike? Is he gonna break through and finally do something that lasts mm. and sticks to the landing? Anyway, tell me. So Pale Blue Eye is based. It's adapted for the screen by and directed by. Scott Cooper, and it's based off a 2003 novel of the same name. Haven't read it. And it stars Christian Bale, who plays Augustus Landor, who is tasked basically that uh, a, a one of the 
troops in this uh, academy has been found hanged. And there's a series of other murders where they found that the heart has been taken, ripped out of the corpse. And he's basically, even though he doesn't really like the institution of what this represents, is tasked with trying to solve this murder. And clutched in the corpse of this person was a, was a piece of scrawled up torn paper. And it's almost like part of a poem and a puzzle. And who happens to be a, per, a young person at this Academy of Troops? Edgar Allan Poe, played oh, by yeah. Henry Melling, who as a poet himself has uh, you know, a propensity for riddles, clues patterns poems and christian bale almost like you know brings him into his you know his his task and sort of lets him allow, allows him to sort of come into this it is i sort of mentioned earlier on in the episode it is what i think this film does really well is it's really good at using its cold dark um candlelit environment to really where set are we the sorry, sorry we are in 1830s new york right okay. so and middle of winter and it is you know that <laughs> lots feeling, of ravens i imagine lots of ravens you know that feeling when it's just snowed loads overnight and you go and look out your window in the morning and the snow has absorbed all of the sound mm. and it's like that very quiet like you could clap and it would travel mm. nowhere and the energy is like completely lost into the environment and everything that would be quite beautiful is actually quite horrifying and there's mm. this sort of grisly undertone of death and cold and little like little to no life and that sort of creates a very you know sort of a man in a hat and overcoat holding a lamp down a dark valley with, with, with trees it, very gothic very dark and i think that creates a really wonderful atmosphere and a wonderful environment to set this uh this whole premise in uh it stars basically no americans so it's got uh lucy boynton Gillian anderson timothy spool toby jones charlotte gainsburg wow. all doing and the reason i think well not the reason they've done it it's that period in america where the british and american accent hadn't quite separated yet oh yeah so they're enough. saying you know i'm terribly sorry to hear that this poor boy's been murdered oh, yeah. but there's Fair little enough. bits of english in there yes. but as american twang is starting to come in <laughs> i will um, say Gillian anderson i believe is half american Okay, fine. But anyway, carry on. But like, you know, everyone else is just sure. sort of this weird, dancing, yeah. this weird, non-distinct uh, US. Does that work? Yeah, yeah, it works fine. This is the, everyone, the cast are all fantastic in it. It's, it's really, really good. And um, I actually liked this film. I enjoyed it more than I thought. When I saw it, I thought, uh, not really sure about Scott Cooper, to be honest. And I mm. didn't really fancy it because it was just very cold. And I was like, <laughs> this is a bit of a grim January watch. Mm. It's a very slow burn. And I think in the beginning, I was like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. go on but it slowly gives you little bits more and more and more mm. and i think you know towards the end i'm like an hour i think it's a two-hour film and i'm like an hour and a half in and i'm thinking yeah i mean i want to know what's happening this is unfolding i'm really learning mm. more about christian bale who's obviously just so good of in course, everything and yeah, he just has wonderful expert. um depth behind his eyes and i listened to an interview with christian bale recently and he said one of the things i'll always do as an actor is um, I hate, I find it really hard when I don't have dialogue and I need to do something. So what I do is I write myself my character's dialogue that only I say in my head in between lines. Mm. And he's like, I use that as a way of like, if I've got nothing to say, the character needs to be saying something. So in my head, I'm almost oh, wow. like analyzing the scene and thinking what the character do. So he's always got something to do and it just always comes across that he's like, there's an implied depth. And then, you know, when completely that, engaged performance. Completely engaged. When that sort of reveals itself towards the end, I'm like, oh yes. This is like a, um, it's like a four act film. Okay. You know, when films kind of, they, yeah. they sort of have a, a, a three act, yeah. you know, bow tie. And then there's another bit. Okay. And sometimes that cannot really work. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of was into it because the fourth act, I was like, oh, this is, this is quite a lot. And this is really like, mm. 
got me to a cool point. Like I said, it's a very slow build, so I wouldn't be surprised mm. if given the way in which I think people sometimes consume Netflix, if people start this and don't finish it, okay. if people like don't quite jive with it, because yeah. it's not the most like, hey, look at me, look how pretty mm. we are. It's a slow burn. Harry Melling is an actor, you know, he, he played Dudley Dursley in the yeah. Harry Potter films, wasn't particularly great in them, would never have thought about that actor ever again. Yeah. He seemingly disappears, loses a bunch of weight, looks completely different to mm. where he was as a kid, turns up in Queen's Gambit and yeah. he's really good in it. And now I'm watching him in this and he's really, really good. He's I holding think, his own with Christian Bale. Yeah, I think it was the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is the Coen Brother film, that he, he Coen Brothers film that yes. he turned up in. I didn't see that, but I know he was in there. I agree, but he's, when you look at him now, I know he's, he completely looks to me, yeah. he's got such a character actor's face. Oh, yes, a really interesting uh, face to look at. And yeah, I think he did a bunch of stuff stage work like mm. after Potter and sort of like cut his teeth doing all of that and now I'm like whoa everyone's gonna want to gonna want to work with this guy and he's really good yeah I I um I got on with it more than I thought I will okay. say it is a bit it is a bit slow okay. but if you stick with it I think there's a lot to enjoy towards the end it's interesting I think also if it's a slow burn it might take a while for it to find its audience and I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. maybe like a month's time people are going oh actually it sort of found its kind of community people oh yeah the pale blue eye pale blue eye did you check yeah, yeah, no blue stick blue with it yeah I I'd mean, like it more than I thought I would okay I, I think Thing is, two hours is not a, is 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 a solid runtime for a film. So even yeah. though it's a bit slow, knowing that going in, that's fine because I can always have a little break halfway through. Yeah, uh, home viewing. Um, and uh, I'm up. I actually really do like watching seasonal films yes. in the appropriate season. You know, I talked about my flatmate who watches like. The Witch at autumn time and, and yes. the Revenant in January. Love that, and yeah. like, like and, and the same thing, like the Northman at this time of year. Yeah. And, and then by the summer you want to watch Call Me by Your Name. And yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I'm really up for that. You so. know when all the actors are just having a really good frown? Oh. And everyone's just very concerned about what they're seeing and all oh, this dead body and we're at the morgue and we're we're crunching open. It sounds very bleak. The the, the, the cold, yeah. frozen dead arms oh. and pulling out a, a clue and you know a character is studying the pattern and there's like a candle that the where the wax is just completely morphed into the yeah. window piece and you're just like yeah, so good old reel me in with this nice little mystery. Do you remember? I think it was the 2010 or 2012 movie The Raven with John Cusack where he played. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. I, again, I'd never thought like about that film until you started saying Edgar Allan Poe. And I was like, oh my God, there was a film where he played Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, yeah. And he was like the detective. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know how Sherlock Holmes like traditionally would be in like foggy, gaslit lamp London with smoke and mm. that was like how it set you up in the cobblestone of Baker Street. Mm. This is like, okay, but we're doing frosty 1830s yeah. New York and it really... I just I think it knows like we're going to really go for this setting. We're going to use that yeah. to tell a really dark and gritty and grim story. Ed, Ed Graham Poe's got a really interesting relationship with like cinema actually because yeah. uh, you know his story's been adapted time and time again. Most famously in the '60s by Roger Corman, who was able to spin lots of short Ed Graham Poe stories into like one and a half hour, two hour movies. Big success of the, um, the House of Usher, based off of the fall of the House of Usher, yeah, okay, uh, with Vincent Price, like did really well in the '60s, and he made them very cheaply. Um, like um, I think it was the Mask of the Red Death, things like that. And then you've also got like comparisons between like Hitchcock, the way that Hitchcock works with his storytelling is very similar to Edgar Allan Poe, which is like you have these kind of like premise-based um, uh, switcheroos and you know things which have a twist at the end, mm. and like something like Vertigo has the kind of spectre of Edgar Allan Poe hanging over it, particularly because it's a detective story. I'm not trying to, I don't have a, a full thesis ready to review, but if people are interested yeah. <laughs> in finding, in tracing the sort of um, DNA link between Edgar Allan Poe and cinema, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can dig into. Yeah. I'd be interested if you do see it, what you think of the like fourth act. 
because okay. it is very like yes. you know you like you, you see like an, an ending sequence thing like oh there's half an hour left oh. and it like it happens mm. i didn't hate i didn't hate the fact that it that existed okay. but i'd be interesting to hear like how other people got on with that because it was almost a bit rewarding okay but yeah cool. let, let us know if you've seen it because it's out this week yeah pale blue eye would love to hear other people's thoughts if you check it out George, I just want to bring in an email from Ruben, who writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com, just like you can. And he says, hey, guys, Ruben from Belfast. In all caps, love the podcast and makes me miss my own pod. Brackets, sorry for shouting. That's That's all right. Just listen to your Godfather episode. Brackets, amazing. Thank you very much. That was, in case people don't remember, last year we did 50th anniversary. Talk about the Godfather to celebrate its 50th anniversary. Carry on. Please go and check that out. Have either of you watched The Offer on Paramount Plus? It's the story of the making of The Godfather and the difficulty that Al Ruddy had in making it. It's amazing. Keep up the cracking work. Cheers. Sent from my iPhone. Well, Ruben, Ruben, thank you. Your email is very timely because I have indeed watched The Offer. I've watched half of it. I'm going to give you my thoughts mm, I, now. It's to show that you and I have been sort of exactly. like, oh, The Offer, The when Offer we did, When we did that Godfather episode a year ago, we were aware that that show it existed. And I think the disadvantage that's happened because we are UK-based is that that show, I think, got much more of a push in the US. Mm. And I know people who live in the US are much more aware of it. Because that show has come out on Paramount Plus over here, Paramount Plus didn't launch in the UK until, I think, July, maybe summertime, maybe, maybe even later, like September time. And, um, but the show came out in the US like springtime last year, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in all the time I saw that the Paramount Plus being marketed, you know, with the big tube adverts or whatever, I never really saw the offer there. It was right. always about the first lady or um, the, the yellow jackets. Or it's called, I saw no like marketing push for me apart from like YouTube trailers that exactly. I sought out myself. Right. So um, it's kind of gone under the radar. It's almost like missed its moment with the, the UK. It's almost like they said, we're happy to like market it domestically and target it, but now it's kind of this thing in the past. But so I've gone back and I've, I have actually caught up with it. Um, and I've watched five episodes. I watched all five episodes yesterday, like I said, on a, on a rainy day. Here's the context for people who aren't aware. Obviously, we're all aware of The Godfather, mm. made in 1972. This is a show based on, as Ruben says in his email, Al Ruddy's experience producing The Godfather. He was the producer of The Godfather. And you, the whole setup for this is the how... Uh, how uh, a cultural phenomenon that was The Godfather came to be made. And I'm going to say right off the bat, it's a really, really fun, really enjoyable, like delicious slice of film history. And actually like more, it's actually more than film history. It's like pop cultural history, if you think about it. So here's the set setup. So Al Ruddy, the story begins a bit before like the, you know, it's been the late sixties. Al Ruddy does not work in film. He works at the Rand Corporation, programming computers. He's really bored. Um, You've got Mario Puzo, who's a writer who, um, for reasons not because of art, but because of necessity, starts to write The Godfather, the novel. You've got uh, uh, Bob Evans, Robert Evans, famous legendary producer, but obviously at the time was just the head of Paramount, played exquisitely by Matthew Good, doing a very specific voice that um, Bob Evans had that, if in any other hands would sound like such a cliched Hollywood producer um, thing, but he's yeah. this, he was this, he was a larger than life character anyway. He was a bit of a playboy. He had these classic 70s glasses, always holding a cigarette, having a drink like a martini at like nine o'clock in the morning. And there he is, and he talks like this, and he says, Hey, hey, Ruddy, what are you doing with the Godfather? Hey, I don't really like it. There's a, there's a bit where they walk into his office, and like um, Bob Evans is looking at the poster for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and he right. goes, Well, where's the fucking chocolate? It's a chocolate movie, isn't it? He put some fucking chocolate on the poster. It's just, <laughs> really smooth and, yeah. and all of his lines I just what is a delight to watch he's okay? good Matthew good fantastic uh you have Juno Temple playing this um playing Ruddy's secretary who's sort of up and coming and plucky herself you've got um on the flip side 
to the to the movie. Oh, so you've got you've also got Bern Gorman playing the uh, the head of Gulf and Western, which is the conglomerate that owns Paramount. It's the one that everyone answers to, the money man. You've got Colin Hanks being the sort of accountant that's sort of the thorn in everyone's side, always being like, "Well, I don't think it's good for our shareholders actually if this goes through." You've got on the on, on the other side of things, um, Giovanni Ribisi playing Joe Colombo, a true mafia mobster who um, is. Here's about the the Godfather that it's going to be turned into a film, and is this furious? This you know he says this this movie denigrates Italian Americans, and equally portraying it almost like quite a big performance himself. He's yeah. got like these jowls and this sort of this comb over. You've got Frank Sinatra keeps calling up the mob and saying, "Look, I, this movie cannot be made." I heard this Johnny Fontaine character is based off of me. This this series, by the way, Amazing. is completely explicit about the fact that Frank Sinatra and the mob were like hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. It makes no apologies for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Ruddy, obviously, becomes involved in film. And the first episode, at first I was like, okay, this is, a little, this is great. A little touch hammy because it's trying to race through all the information to get us to the Godfather point, right? And it's a little bit like, I like movies, man. This is the magic. I used to come in with my mama. This is what it's all about. Hey, I got an idea. How about we do this? And it's a bit like, okay, yeah, I can see the, the pieces being assembled. However, it is just so engrossing because I think if you... It depends whether you're a Godfather fan or not. Mm. But I think as even as a <coughs> casual viewer, there is something incredibly rewarding. A bit like you maybe talked about the bear, right? Mm. Like we don't work in a kitchen. We've never worked in food food service, right? I have worked at a restaurant actually. We have both worked in food have, service. Yeah, yeah. No, let me take that back. A bit like you were saying with the bear, like um, we've never, like, we don't work in a high pressure restaurant environment, but we can still appreciate the kind of the decisions mm. and the dynamics of that. There's something very rewarding about watching the creative process of making a movie. The scramble of the scramble, The sort of yeah. scrappiness of it. And, you know, we've seen uh, stories about writers and directors and actors. Mm. This is the story of a producer. And I was just thinking, I've, I'm so used to like the, the writer of... Um, the life of a writer or a director of an actor being glamorized in fiction. But I don't think I've ever sort of been in the trenches with a producer. Mm. And you've got Ruddy literally flying from New York to LA to catch people. I'm like, that would be a Zoom call now. Yeah. And he was like flying to try and catch people and to like put the script so he can hand the script in front of someone to read it. Typed out, copied. Um, uh, it's uh, so I think on, if you're not if you're not really into the Godfather, I, I think that the Godfather has permeated pop culture to such an extent mm. that to see how this thing was slowly gestating and how. What, what makes it thrilling is that because you know, obviously you know the film gets made, mm. but it's more about how something that we, we take for granted so much and that it's so established was so close to not happening yeah. or was so close to being, so close to being a completely different version of what we know it now. Yeah. And was so close to being a good film, but not the greatest film of all time, yeah. right? You've got, um, there are, but if you are a Godfather fan, there are so many little details and, and calls that, and not in a hammy pastiche way at all to the films that are really delightful. There's a scene where um, uh, Al Roddy actually meets um, Giovanni Ribisi's character, the mobster. And uh, and they've, they've shot it in a way that is completely reminiscent of the end of Godfather 1. And Giovanni Ribisi says, oh, he says, oh, relax, if, you, if I wanted to kill you, you'd be dead already. And I'm like, that's Michael's line to Carlo at the end of mm. the Godfather 1. I'm like, I love that. There's a scene where Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola are, are, are writing together and it's shot in silhouette and it's completely like Fredo and Michael in Godfather Part 2. Um, by the way, Francis Ford Coppola played by Dan Fogler, who is just like, you know, from oh, Fantastic yes, Beasts, yeah, 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 yeah. who's always just brilliant to He's watch. Good. His face He's is really just great uh, yeah. so animated. Um, 
And then Miles Teller himself doing, you know, he's a very commanding leading presence. He's doing a voice the whole time to sound a bit more like uh, Earl Ruddy, but it completely works. Yeah. Um, some really nice touches when they go and get uh, Marlon Brando, for example, you know, Marlon Brando uh, in, in, invites them over. And the way they shoot Marlon Brando, uh, it's like this kind of mythic presence. You see him, his sort of like kimono dragging along the floor and his feet coming down the stairs first. And and before this scene, everyone said, oh, Brando, you know, he, he's, he, he's a fucking nightmare to work with. Yeah. You can't work with Brando. And, and, and he's like, he's washed up. He's boxed up his poison. Forget about it. Anyway, they go to his and they go to his house, but but he, as he comes through and walks through this villa, the music they, they use this kind of trumpet that makes it seem like he's a champion prize fighter coming yeah. back for another round, and everyone is just like in awe of him. And it's wonderfully played by an actor whose name I don't know, but he was the guy in Grey's Anatomy. He's been Grey's Anatomy for a long, for a long time. You'll you'll know him when when you see him. You're frowning like you want me to look him up. Would you like me to tell you the name? He Grey's was one of the Anatomy. longest running. Uh, is he McSteamy? No, he's not McSteamy. Not Patrick Dempsey. Does Patrick Dempsey look like Marlon Brando to you? <laughs> I don't know. Justin Chambers? That's exactly right. Justin Chambers Justin plays Chambers. Marlon Brando. You've got these great parallels between the um, the way that the mafia works and the way the, the, the mafia in the movie works and also the power dynamics of the deals that are happening at... Uh, uh, at Paramount, and it's almost like you—you you have these shady meetings that are almost mm. just as like uh, uh, as mob influenced as, as the actual mob itself. Um, you have, you know, when it gets to more casting, Al Pacino comes in, and he's this frail, tiny, little, shy guy. And you know, yeah. Bob Evans takes one look at him and says, "Fuck no, I don't want Pacino. Give me somebody else. Get Jimmy Khan." Um, but he, he, he just so great to watch people fight over that. Yeah, I think I think, like I said. If you're if you haven't seen The Godfather in a long time, that's fine. You'll watch this and you'll go, I need to watch The Godfather again. Mm. Or you can watch The Godfather again and then watch this and get a lot out of it. Um, it's if anyone has an interest in that like era of, of, of film history as well. Yes, you know it was like it's it was just something in the air. Something was big was about to happen. I mean, um, Bob Evans says. We had a massive hit with Rosemary's Baby. We need another one. We think Love Story is going to be a big hit, but we need another one after Love Story, okay? And at the first, no one's really sure about The Godfather. He's like, well, it's selling well. Let's see if we can get something off of this. And then it becomes, after a while, it's like, no, 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 The Godfather has to make a lot of money, okay? Yeah. We need Paramount to make this money. Um, and, you it's know, you're about like sort of everything riding on the success. Exactly. Happening, and obviously we know about it, but stakes. we're aware that like the mood is changing and you're about to enter the era, which is like um, the American new wave. So, it, which is typically marked starting with Bonnie and Clyde in 68, I think, or 67. And if you're interested in this time in history, read Peter Biskin's Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, which is all about how all these directors were coming through. Coppola, um, uh, Scorsese, Bogdanovich, um, and, and, you know, Lucas and Spielberg as well. Um, there's a great scene uh, in episode five. I mean, that's the thing, just because it's so familiar in our pop culture, every little detail is so tantalizing. There's a great scene where... Obviously, we know the film gets made, so I think this is a massive spoiler. Where they've been, he's finally got been able to sort of amass the, the the cast and crew together. And Coppola says, "Right, I just wanted to have a dinner." They go to this restaurant, they have a private room. He's like, "I just want to have a dinner to toast the beginning of the film, and let's just sit down." And he says, "Let's just sit down and have some food." And everyone like waits, and they're all looking at Brando to see where he sits. And Brando's like, just walks and sits at the head of the table. And then the actress who's playing the mother goes and sits the other head ahead. And everyone basically in character sits and you get this sort of improv session where the Corleone family are sat together 
just improvising and turning. You've got, you've got wow. Al Pacino, who's not Al Pacino, but doing his thing. You've got Fredo, you've got Sonny, and like you're on. It's so many layers because you're like, I'm watching The Godfather, but I'm also watching an interpretation of The Godfather. I'm watching the interpretation of different actors. It was a joy so to watch. Sold. It's I'm um, so sold. it's a real fun, really, really fun, engaging watch. And I think I think uh, I, I cannot recommend it enough. If you are in- interested in film and even a basic amount, mm. which I assume you are, if you're listening to this <laughs> show. I would recommend checking out uh, the so offer. Like, I'm just waiting for them to talk about golf. Yeah. <laughs> Fats in the open. Oh, no. Um, so it's on Paramount Plus. It's a 10 episode season. Can I tell you one of my favorite little details, though, mm-hmm. as, as an avid watcher? Uh, well, first of all, I feel like saying to Paramount Plus, oh, bold move going for your first show on your streaming service to be a show all about how you guys made the best film of yeah, all time. Yeah, well done. Pat on the back. And the opening. Um, Credits is like Paramount, Paramount, Paramount. They've got the arches of Paramount, the mountain of Paramount. I'm like, okay, I get it, guys. Um, they got permission to film at Paramount. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, I yeah. wonder how. Um, anyway, I'm glad on about it, but I think if you are, uh, if, if, if you really, it's a really easy, not easy, it's a really watchable, yeah. very fun, very engaging uh, that TV show. That sounds great. And I don't think I've heard anyone in the UK just talk yes. about the show. Oh God, did you not see the off? You know, you just like, you speak to people, people are like, oh, that show's yeah. really good, blah, blah, blah. I just don't really hear people talking about it. I'm aware of it and I'm aware I need to watch it. Yeah. And I just think, I just hope more people check it out and it's not such a slow burn. I think also it's kind of slightly, if you said to someone, your average person in the street, like, oh, it's mm. about the making of The Godfather. They might go, well, I know The Godfather. I haven't seen yeah. it in a while. Or like, I don't really like The Godfather. I'm not really interested in the making of something I've not seen or I'm not that engaged with. Yeah. But, uh, Hi- highly recommend great I fun. love just like highly high, high quality one and done limited series like really tackling yeah. a thing and just but I'm like it. you could make this series about any film I mean yeah. the, the, specific, the specifics of this are very interesting in particular with like the relationship between the mob and, and the movie and, and uh, he's got you know he's got to balance the movie on one side and the mob on the other he's like Argh. and how many times have you heard like oh my god the studio didn't want to cast this person in the drama and the script totally. almost got lost in yeah. this and we had to change that and, and the and the and trivia the trivia that comes out of yes, this yeah. just about, you want to go on Wikipedia after every time you finish you can't because you're like it's going to ruin what's going to happen in the next episode anyway the offer it's on Paramount Plus definitely worth checking out let us know if you've seen it and George maybe when you finish it have another little word but you can send us your thoughts if you've seen the offer to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and if there's any other show that we've maybe completely uh, overlooked completely overlooked please let us know because we're always on the lookout although we will say there are only two of us we only have four (laughs) eyeballs between us (laughs) and it's really hard to catch everything when you say four eyeballs that's making me think that I can like watch two things at once (laughs) no but like uh, like Wednesday. We 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 could we didn't see Wednesday. I know. So I, many I don't know if that's going to happen. Here's like, the thing. It's like there are shows sometimes which I can look at and I'll be like, yeah, whatever. And then that turns into the biggest show on TV also, on Netflix. We are. Like, I can't. In all fairness to Wednesdays, we aren't the target demographic for no. Wednesday, are we? I think it's much more of a teen tween. Well, I think Netflix would have thought that, but it's got mass appeal and everyone loves it because TikTok. TikTok. So George, it's email time. Thank you for everyone who sent us emails over yes. the Christmas, January break. And I sent, thank you for waiting because yes. we obviously pre-recorded some stuff, but we've got the emails also, now to read Before out. we just read our emails, I would just like to say, we love obviously receiving them. What, what I'd love is if when people sign off, if they could just put where they're writing from, even, oh, if, it's yeah, just always. The, even if it's just the country, I know some people do already, but like, please feel free, just the city or the country that yeah. you're writing from, even if it's the UK, we don't mind. We just It's just helpful for us and we, and we find it very interesting. Very so, interesting. Because also sometimes we've received emails and I'm like, the way this is written, I'm pretty sure this is American or sometimes I'll be like, I'm pretty sure this is Australian, yeah. but I don't want to assume. 
in our analytics, I see like like 40% UK, 30% US, and then like you've got Canada, Ireland, and then there's uh, less than 1%, and it's like 50 countries. Yes. And so like we, <laughs> some people in like loads of different countries, I would just think would never be listening. It's one person at least. Hey, shout out to those, those, thank you. Countries I've never even heard of sometimes. It's I'm an like, international family here. It I'm really is. It. I'm just going to start with a question from Ropa Fadzo. Apologies if I haven't pronounced that right. He says, hi guys, discovered you guys on... TikTok. Absolutely love you, but the way you pronounce Kaluuya is insanely jarring. Please revisit. Yes. So I, I, Daniel I, I Kaluuya. Ha, yeah. This is Daniel. I, I believe it's pronounced Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Have I said Kaluuya? You say you've done it before. Kalu- Daniel Kaluuya, like Kaluuya the drink. Like, but, the but like, it's, like it's written Daniel K dot Lua. You'd be like, yeah, Daniel K Lua's character. No, no. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. I believe Apologies. Kaluuya. We will move on with the correct front. Well, I will move on with the correct, uh, correct pronunciation. Uh, this next one's from Kai, who writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. It says, hi guys, I have a question for you both based on the reaction on TikTok to James's comments on Avatar yes, 2. Yes, we should address this because address this. this is the first time we've spoken since we posted this. Yes, I completely agree with James on Avatar, but the reaction to his comments were mostly that the point of, quote, the point of Avatar is the visuals, not the story, end quote. This raises an interesting point in film analysis as to how important narrative or character is to a film's own overall quality if those aspects are not the focus. For me, film can and is best when it focuses on visuals as well as story character. That's what made Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy so great. Basically, the question is, can film be judged as an entirely visual medium, or do you have to consider elements like story or character? I imagine intent plays a huge part in how visual films are judged, but could a film be a 10 out of 10 without much narrative substance? Sorry if that's incredibly long-winded, but you two seem like you could add something to that discussion, and maybe James can defend himself from the more negative TikTok, to- from the more negative TikTok comments Haha. Thanks, guys, and Merry Christmas slash New Year, or happy whenever you read this. P.S. This is the best film podcast on the internet. Oh, Kai, you are kind. Thank you very much. Kai. So, yeah, so we put this, uh, we obviously, you know, as the internet works, we did a whole, I did probably spoke on Avatar for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, and I lifted probably the most intense parts of my review and put that out on social media. And I think one of those clips where I'm particularly animated, probably at the height of my frustration about what Avatar did, it got like, over a million views on TikTok, which is great for the show, but obviously that spawned legions of yes. people to come out and say that I didn't understand it. And one of the, what I was saying in that clip was that it seems to top and tail a lot of its scenes with a lot of B-roll sequences. In my, people who have listened to my full, the full episode yeah. of my review know that I praised it for its visual effects. And I said it was incredibly yeah. impressive, easily, incredibly immersive. And I said, look, this is very impressive. However, that is not interesting to me for three hours. Yes. And after a certain period of time, I didn't like that Avatar 2 seems to be only, um, the only draw to see it is for the technology that's there. And I think if technology is becoming the reason to see a film, that to me doesn't interest me beyond a few minutes. Right. I can't, I'm not just want, gonna wanna see that. I wanna see something deeper and more interesting to do with the story, which after such a long period of time, I found to be very boring and derivative. Yeah, I, I, I will say in your defense about, I've not seen Avatar sure. Way of the Water yeah. yet, but, I didn't think hearing your thoughts that they were unfair. No. And also, it's like, it's not saying that you can't have uh, visuals and, 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 and narrative side by side, but I yeah. think it's also you're saying that it's very clunkily done with the way it's just like, boom, and then a little bit of narrative, and then back to the visuals for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I okay. just think, I think you do, you're, it spends far too much time establishing the beauty in the world. It's not that I don't like to look at beauty things or that I didn't understand yeah. it or appreciate it. I just think it took far too much yeah. time to do it. Um, I will say uh, on the video though, James, mm. um, 
what I think, you know, people who comment are usually the people who mo- feel most annoyed about it. But don't yeah. forget the likes. It's got like 45,000 likes or so something. So that's the item that's 45,000 people that didn't say anything, but went, you know what? I think this guy's got a point. Anyway, just to answer Kai's question about the relationship between narrative and cinema, like, obviously it's a massive debate. And narrative centric cinema is, is, is kind of a, a Western centric mm. tradition within film. You know, the more Western you go, the more Hollywood. If you, if you look at like Hollywood as like the epicenter of narrative driven film filmmaking yeah. the further you get away from that and the more that cinema is is you know interpreted and, and used in different uh, countries and cultures you can get away with that and, and and i do think that cinema does not have to be narrative uh dependent but it is a debate i do think that if your film has no narrative enti- at all not even a thematic narrative then it's almost it's not it's is that i mean this like i said it's a huge debate is that even cinema i would argue it's almost like uh, it's it's almost like an art piece then it's an yeah. exhibition art but there has to be some sort of causal relationship between what we're seeing to to, to make it kind of cinema in, in inverted commas you know what i'm yeah. saying it's like paramount should be yeah. storytelling that but, should always but, be but, 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 I, but i agree that watching something just going oh where's the story where's the story is a western hollywood uh, mm. uh ideal that's been kind of driven into us and absolutely i do approach things with like you know, story after Sun recently, okay, yeah. a British film, but very, 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 very minimal narrative. Okay, yeah. that that's absolutely fine. Um, taking a film like Tree of Life with extended sequences of visuals, yeah. right? And like, is that now invalid because it's trying to do that? Because it's like really indulging in something there to make a point very slowly. Or you take a very dry film like steve mcqueen's hunger right right which is very like minimal in how it expresses itself visually but yeah. it's still doing something very profound and slow and still it, it's, not, it's not like you can just take the two and be like one yes. therefore is successful and one isn't it's just but it's almost but it I, works yeah. independently yeah i um yeah i think the thing is with narrative like that is i do when i do watch a film though and it, it, it predominantly i would you know 90 percent, 99 percent of the films that I watch or at least and a lot of people watch mm. are narrative led and with that i think there is there are sort of things you if you're going to tell a story you must make sure that you, i've got to believe that you want to tell that to me and uh you know sometimes that's why we watch stuff and go you're taking the piss making this a you know, three-hour film or, or yeah. like we like it from the gets to the point or desperately really really wants to engage and hold your attention like the 90 minute films that get in and get out and go yeah listen i've got something to tell you i've got to tell it to you quickly it's a whole debate and a couple of mates were like oh god should i go see it and i'm like yeah, I thought you can do. Just pee before you go in. <laughs> like, just, just cause otherwise, like, yeah. I can't. It's going to be so long. There's just one more email on Avatar The Way of Water, which I'll read out. This one is from Calvin, friend of the show. He says, good afternoon, gents. Calvin from Manchester again. Following James's review of Avatar 2, I wanted to share some thoughts. Firstly, I completely agree with James's frustration at the constant drops in frame rate. If you remember, mm. I told you it was a high frame rate screening, and I got very annoyed about how it was doing it mid-action scene, not just from like the wide and the flying. It would do it like mid-dialogue, which I just think is unforgivable. I didn't dislike high frame rate itself. I just thought very not very well done considering you were bringing this back Uh, he said I found it particularly noticeable when flying creatures flapped their wings but it happened plenty of other times too seemingly at random the other issue I had with frame rate was that it often appeared very video gamey particularly in scenes uh, involving moving machinery yeah I see what you mean Mm. Uh, other than that I thought the high frame rate was actually quite immersive and I found it to be a better viewing experience than the first movie I saw in 48 frames The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey yeah I agree it's a film I saw in high frame rate as well I'd be really interested to see it at 24 frames but like James said there doesn't seem to be any mention of frame rates on tickets or cinema websites yes there was no sense that like even if you wanted to seek it out 
you could go see it. And if you didn't want to do it at all, you were stuck with it, which again, it's just annoying. Uh, I watched the film in 3D on a Dolby digital screen, although other, although other than having blacker blacks, I don't really know the difference. Maybe you could clue me in on this. Um, I'll come back to that. As, uh, as for my thoughts on the film, I thought that in every sense it was, a better, it was better than the original. The effects, of course, have improved, but also I thought that the story had more depth, not a high bar, admittedly, and there was much more emotional weight to the film. I never found it boring either, as I was too enthralled by the visuals. My, my wife said it was like a nature documentary, but not in a bad way. All that being said, I still think I prefer the original. There's a sense of wonder and magic that the sequel just doesn't quite capture. I'm interested to hear George's thoughts once he's seen it, and James once he's watched it another yes. five or six times. <laughs> as always, cheers for the great content, Calvin. I will say, uh, in the meantime, while James looks this, looks this up, that uh, I saw uh, some of my girlfriend's family over Christmas, and she has uh, 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 relatives that are seven years old and ten years old, and this seven-year-old boy said that uh, he knew about Avatar, he was talking about Avatar, and he was like, yeah, it's it's dinosaurs, but it's more than dinosaurs, because it's actually like, it's the neon blue cat people with, with the dinosaurs. And I was like, the neon blue cat people versus the dinosaurs. And I was like, that's a pitch. I love it. I love the way that kids can just distill cinema and distill ideas down so succinctly. I wanted to like puff on my cigar and go, that's an idea, kid. When someone says, in. yeah, it's like an H documentary, that doesn't excite me or interest me. Yeah. For th- I'm like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I've got plenty of those. The, the, those. the high quality of the H documentaries are taken care of. Yeah, so uh, just on Dolby quickly. Dolby, I've seen a film in Dolby before. Dolby Digital is, it's a brand, but it's like a standard for color and audio. So you'll have heard Dolby audio being a thing and it's got to do with how many different speakers you've got around and how many angles you can portray sound at. So like if there's a very minimal surround sound experience, you might have two things at the front, two at the back and one on either side, whereas Dolby might have 18 different speakers right. that gives you like a very precise location of where things are. And then Dolby Color, like as you said, it increases the contrast and dynamic range of what colors you're portraying on screen so you'll have deeper blacks brighter whites and i think if that's done correctly it's a very good experience but i've heard of people who say that oh it was an incorrectly formatted dolby screening so as much as i could say like yes seek out dolby it's probably a better viewing experience i would always not consider it the be all end all for like you know this is the best way to see a film because it all has to be optimized and as with imax it's very hard to actually find out what how it's been shot on imax and if it's done correctly we're overcomplicating films yeah God. Well, it's just marketing. It's just trying to get people to see stuff to pay an extra two pounds on their ticket. Right. Um, it's, it is hard because I think, like, as someone who kind of, I like to think I know what it means to see something in that. It's not clear yeah. what you're actually paying for and like how it was shot or whether or not it's actually like going to be shot in Dolby. But it's like more better colors. And for something like Avatar, probably worth it. Okay. What else we got? This next one is from Holden, who writes into the show and says, Hi guys, love listening to the podcast Thank on you. my walks around college campus avoiding my thesis work. Again, that sounds like an American writer, but I don't think yeah, Holden... thesis. Th- thesis, college campus. Holden's quite an American. You don't Holden see many Caulfield, British people. Uh, yeah. Catcher in the Rye. So I don't know. Uh, does Holden say where he writes from? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. I'm assuming the great US of A. Maybe... Canada, even. Walking around college campus, avoiding my and thesis I work. you. You're walking across the campus. I have a question. Yeah. I have lots of film-obsessed friends who love to discuss and critique movies. I try my best to engage in these conversations, but I've always had a hard time deciphering what is a good movie in terms of its technical aspects, <laughs> dialogue, cinematography, pace, editing, etc. And what is a good movie for me personally, emotionally, etc. For example, I have heavy emotional attachments to movies like La La Land, Lady Bird, and Marriage Story that make me feel a bit biased towards them. How do you balance a personal love for a movie 
and your technical critiques of it. How do I not let my friend's stylistic and technical opinions on movies I love affect me? Thanks, Holden. Holden, massive question. I mean, the question of what is a good movie, we will not be able to <laughs> answer that. We are that answering right that every week for but many years. I find the distinction there almost like you've missed a trick because, mm. first of all, La La Land, Marriage Story, and Lady Bird. Great films. Three great films. Yeah. Um, you, have no, you do not need to apologize for having an emotional attachment to that. No. Because what the, the point you, uh, I think people are missing there is that it's not, they're not distinct. The technical aspects of that film, the cinematography, the writing, the direction, the score, mm. is there to get you emotionally invested in that film. So the emotional feeling you feel towards that film is the film doing its job correctly, okay? I completely agree. There are... There are more complex routes to get you emotionally and there are simple routes to get you emotionally, but it doesn't matter because the whole point of film is to arouse you emotionally. It's either to make you laugh, get scared, or, or feel compelled and involved in the story. And you don't need to only love perfect films because A, they don't exist, they and B, do that's exist. just like not a way to live. Yeah. I, so, um, so just because you're sat... Sorry, but... Just yeah, yeah, no. So if you're sat there with someone who's barking on about how 2001 is so meticulously crafted because this, this, and this, mm. there is no higher... There's no reason why the, 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 the meticulous craft of 2001's design is any higher than the craft of Greta Gerwig's script for Lady Bird. Yeah. Or, or um, you know, Emma Stone's performance in La La Land or Adam Driver's performance in, or what Noah Baumbach did with Marriage Story. Like, if you feel emotionally moved by something, that, that, that is your sign that the film is working for you and that film is a good film for you. And how many times have we talked in the last couple of months where we talk about personal experience of completely affecting and changing your interpretation yeah. of a film and whether or not that scene or that moment or that idea works for you differently? Yeah. Like, it's always going to be personal. I will say that I completely agree with George. I sometimes describe myself as a movie apologist mm. where I acknowledge it for its flaws yes. and often agree with the flaws that people make of it, yet I still adore it yeah. anyway. So it's like well, the perfect example. Sorry, answer. Yeah, no, that's it. Go on. Well, no, so the perfect example here is Interstellar. Exactly. Right? Which I've described myself yeah. as an Interstellar. But it comes back to this because yes, you can talk about, and that's still a great movie. Yeah, yeah. narratively flawed. Yes. And you can talk about the technical craft in Interstellar for ages. Yes, I know he got Kip Thorne's thing about the black hole. Amazing. It's a big leap. But the thing that keeps bringing me back to. Uh, Interstellar is the emotional heart of it, right? It which is the relationship with the daughter. The spectacle and wonder Mother. of that as well. Exactly. Holy how shit. the emotional dynamics of that film are writ large across space yeah. and rendered very skillfully through Hans Zimmer's score in particular. Oh. And even if you hate the idea of him being on the other side of a bookshelf in a tesseract, yeah. banging on it. Silly. The fact that he's still like banging, trying yeah. to get himself from another moment in time to not leave yes. and he's crying. Like, how does that not get, get you? Come on. Going to, going to see a film purely for intellect for that only tickles you in the in terms of the intellect mm. is not enough and i've watched 25 minute youtube videos breaking down all the flaws in interstellar but i, I watch it and i go they're right yes but, but i, I love it yeah i don't care i love it so yeah don't be afraid to just you like, like the films you like. you like and yeah just go deeper in what you like and follow that there is no objective truth no objective good this next one's from Eric from Norway. Thank you. Who for writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and says, hello guys, Merry Christmas and happy, happy New Year to you both and Pop Kitchen. Thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. Been loving listening to your podcast all year, Thank especially you. when I'm out golfing by myself. Another golf reference. Uh, hey, three this, <laughs> three this, episode. this episode. It's a sign. <laughs> it's a sign. 
<laughs> you and me talking about the PGA Tour, just <laughs> yeah. reading the results. Loads of golf branding now, yeah. hitting up yeah. visors. Yeah. <laughs> this year, I've been really impressed by smaller films. Most of my new releases are less of the big blockbusters and more small and personal movies like After Sun and Bones and All. There's been a lot of great TV out this year. Barry, which I highly recommend, released yes. its third and best season. Better Call Saul had one of the most satisfying conclusions to oh, a show I've tell ever me about seen. It. And, I've, and there have been multiple, multiple brilliant newcomers too, such as The Bear and Severance. What a year for TV. What a smoking hot year. Question, would love an episode on the best years for films. Personally, Crikey. three years come to mind. 2007, including big hitters like No Country for Old Men, yeah. Zodiac, yeah. There Will Be Blood. Great. Also some of the best comedies ever with Hot Fuzz and severely underrated movies such as The Assassination of Jesse James and Atonement. Very good argument. Yeah. I think Atone Atonement Stone's, was uh, not underrated. I think under Atonement was rated. Os Oscar, Oscar nominated, nominated, yeah. yeah. Uh, 1984. A personal favourite year due to it having two movies that would make my top 20 of all time list, Amadeus and Paris and Texas. Oh, yeah, Paris, yeah. Texas. But it's also got a big catalogue of classics like Ghostbusters, Terminator, Once Upon a Time in America and Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom. Yeah. Another year he mentioned is 2019. Very recent, but I think it's a fair contender. It has massive hits from some of the biggest directors in the world with The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, brackets my personal favourite Tarantino, mm -hmm. a range of already classics within their genre with movies like The Lighthouse and Knives Out and multiple fantastic non-English non features with Parasite, Parasite yeah. and Portrait of a Lady on Fire taking yeah. the spotlight. Thank you for 2022. And here's to another great year with the champagne clink emoji. Thank you. Eric um, from Norway. Eric, great, interesting question. Great, uh, very compelling argument for those three yes, years. Yes, I, I, I can't say I disagree. We could do a whole episode I'd about it. I'd have to probably go and look through the archives. Off the of, bat, I would, I would say that I know that when it, was, when it turned 2019, there was a lot of um, conversation about 1999 being quite an interesting year for Yeah, The Matrix... Matrix. And Christ, what, are they, what else came out in 1999? Apart <laughs> Phantom Menace. That was the only good. movie that came out. No, but like, I'm pretty sure, I think- Matrix, uh, yeah, Phantom Menace. Uh, uh, let me just go. I think some people would say Fight Club, but you know, I don't rate Fight Club, so. Hold on. Pending, loading. So 1990 films, we've got The Insider, Magnolia, Fight Club, Talented <laughs> Mr. Ripley, American <sighs> Beauty, The Green Mile, Eyes Wide Shut, Phantom Menace, uh, The Sixth Sense, The World Is Not Enough. Okay. Bicentennial no. Man. <laughs> I don't know if any of that is, is game changing. Oh, the mummy. Brendan Fraser's the mummy. Oh, then the game over. That's the best year um, of all time. The Iron Giant cartoon, Notting Hill. Mm. She's all that. Have you seen Entrapment? No. With the Catherine Zeta-Jones and it's Sean Connery? 20... American Pie. You're not selling it, James. <laughs> no, American Pie. 20, that's 10 not... Things I Hate About You. What about 2010? Like, that would be... I remember the 2010 Oscars being quite strong. That was like... No, isn't that being 2011? So that's like... Uh... 2010 movie. That's uh, Toy Story 3, so Social Network, Shutter Island, King's Never Speech, Let Me Go, um, um, Inception, Inception, True Grit. Okay, I think we should stop because this could get on for a while. We need, we need to do our research, but <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, that's a really interesting point of like really good years for whatever reason. Striking. We'll uh, put that in the files and we might dust that off later this year. Thank Eric, you, Eric. Thank you very much for your email. Uh, this one is from Joe who says, Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. My question is, in light of another biopic being released, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. I don't know why I put it like possessive. It's just Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Um, what do you think are the things that make a good biopic? I guess you want it to be as accurate as possible, but should you allow that to get in the way of taking creative liberties that make the film more interesting and enjoyable for the average viewer? Keep up the good work. Can't wait to listen to all your episodes in 2023. Best wishes, Joseph. Brackets, you can call me Joe. Hey, Joe. Thank you, Joe. It's good like when question. Barack Obama's like... My friends call me Barack, but you you got to call me Mr. President. <laughs> um, good question. Uh, first of all, one thing that really bothers me, 
And I'm just wondering whether you just did it just then. No, I said biopic. Good. I said biopic. I think we had this conversation where people say biopic. Yeah. No. Bio. It's not a biopic. Biographical <laughs> picture. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. It's not a biopic like myopic. No. Biopic. biopic. What makes a good biopic? A very good question. There's a lot of them now. No um, stopping. The thing is, like, some of them are done for, like, uh, I always feel like what makes a... Uh, it's easier to be like what makes a bad one. Yeah. Like... Bohemian Rhapsody, Bohemian Rhapsody like, kind of fell took flat. so many liberties with the truth. That actually, yeah. when you read about it after, you're like, that really, I really feel quite cynical. I also felt tricked. like they cherry, I was like, there's definitely a more sordid story behind yes. that whole, like you, yeah. you've really airbrushed what I just yeah. know happened more and, in and that guy's when, life. Whenever there's any problem or any drama in the film, they're like, yeah, that was all Freddie. Queen were great, but Freddie was the whole drama. And then, yeah. and then like Queen of the Solution. Did you like Rocket Man? Uh, that was fine. I liked Same, it because it was, it was like, it had musical numbers. So it had a bit more. great in it as well. Um, what makes it good? What are the the best? You know, I feel like there are better documentaries that really understand, like like Amy or Senna. Yeah, um, Amy's great. Aaron Brockovich. Like again, that's not about a famous person, but would you call that a biopic? I just call that just a good thriller. I know what you mean. That's just based on a true story. Um, it's like Thirteen Lives a biopic. No, I would say really that's just based that, on a true story. It's, it's, oh, the Disaster Artist was kind of based on a true story. Mm, that's based on a true story. No, it's not like a long thing. But, but he's a very famous public figure. Mm. Lincoln. Is that a biopic? Yeah. Okay. Right? Maybe. Now we don't even know what they are. God. But like, you can't call Captain Phillips a biopic, can you? No. That's like an action thriller also based he's on not a like, true story. I no. think it's when the audience knows who the, the, the main person is. I feel like there's a really obvious example of a, of a fa- you know, it's a great biopic. A great... First Man. That's Do you know a, what I mean? It's like, like it's, it's actually a more grey area than I is thought. Is that a biopic or is that a story about how they went to the moon with, led by... I yeah. do really like First Man. It's, it's really underseen, underrated. We've spoken about it before. Joe, we don't know how to answer the question, <laughs> actually. I've actually lost sight of I'm, what I'm a biopic now, is. Yeah, what is, what is a biographical picture? <laughs> You're asking what makes a good one. Now I don't know what one is at all. What year is it? Where am I? I don't know. Keep listening. When they come up, we'll, we'll figure it out yeah. whether or not it was a good or bad biopic. Uh, this next one is from Finn, who writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and says, Hey guys, big fan of the show. Love to listen to it under a hat while parking cars at my work. Now that makes me think valet. Yeah, I guess. You park cars at your work? Yeah, maybe they see me rolling like... Yeah, or you're like a... Throws in the keys. Yeah, yeah. It, Like Henry Hill at the beginning like of Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. Almost... Um, red waistcoat. Red waistcoat. Check yeah, your American thank you. business. Yeah, I don't know in America. I always think you could be like a TV runner maybe because you could park a lot of cars doing that. Mm. Or like you work in a studio. Or he steals them. <laughs> and he's just parking the stolen cars. He just parks them. He fences them off to someone yeah, and gets the money. Uh, Finn, what a mystery. We'd love to know what you think makes a good Western flick. Oh my, my God. What makes film. a good biopic? What's a Western? <laughs> now we're going to be like, I don't know. My personal favorites include The Ballad of Lefty Brown, The Hateful Eight, and Django Unchained. But I'm sure there are more that contribute and expand on this underrated genre. Many thanks. Finn. Well, you don't get many westerns these days. No. Um, and I feel like it's a bit like horror that they kind of have to fulfill certain tropes whilst also trying to be innovative and new. Almost so have to be aware of what they're doing. You know, there's always yeah. got to be a tale of revenge. Mm. There's got to be justice served. It's got to be um, some cinematic beauty with the landscape. Mm. You've got to have an anti-hero. We don't have to have an anti-hero, but you've got to have learning that life was hard and you've got to learn the different way. I, I think... Um, Unforgiven, which is now like 30 years old, was a good way. Because like the main, sorry, the main era of Westerns is like the 60s. And, you know, the, the golden age of Hollywood. That's when Westerns were. And, and even yeah. beyond that, you know, um, Howard Hawks and things like that. But and John Wayne. But 
you know, so you've almost had every generation has had to come up and rethink how they do Western. So like Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's film was all about the legacy of violence and how that follows you and how that actually like traumatizes you and um, and you never lose that way of life. Um, so we got that email where they talked about how the Western era sort of coming and going and ebbing and flowing and then someone comparing it to superhero films right, and yeah. how like they might almost like, yeah. see this similar fate and how uh, it's almost like... Yeah. Uh, I think, I think well, so yeah, Django's it's like the power of the dog this year, which is kind of a Western, but not like... Yeah, it's a Western, but it's not a Western. And yeah. like, you've got the ones like, is it The Hard Lay Fool and Django and The Hateful Eight, which are like slightly racial, you know, a racial spin on it. Um, you've got like, yeah, like slow, slow West, which is like this low indie version of it. Um, With Mac Fassbender. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but God, I mean... <laughs> Stumped. Stumped. What? What? I mean, uh, I guess apart, now it's apart like from fulfilling all those tropes. I mean, what makes a good western just a, a, a good, a good? Because like outside of like t- like stumbling on tropes, <laughs> you tell this like... is our first episode of the <laughs> yeah. year. Outside... I forgot what a film is. No, but like outside of stumbling on the tropes and hitting certain markers that you go, that's a western by looking at it. It has to now, yeah, like give you a reason for jumping in there and subverting it and being yeah. aware of its heritage and its history and using that to its benefit. That's what, it. Isn't do you know it? what one of the, the most uh, westerny westerns? things of recent times was the mandalorian yeah that 100 hugely western technically inspired. not a western but is in every because way I think a western. if you played that as a straight western people would be like it's a bit hammy be like yeah. okay we'll have to do a western but in space or we'll do a western but it's like got this uh you know um, racial commentary spin on it i don't know even like the uh breaking bad better call soul has western like the standoffs in the desert sure like, it's, it's yeah. there's so much of that going on it's almost like the genre has dissolved and just leaked into, eked into other genres in itself. You know, like it's just like in a like a bath bomb. It's just like now yeah. become part of it. All it's merged with all of the parts of pop culture that the essence of a western can't be found and it's found in itself. The emails today, James, basically, we, must we think move that on there are no the, genres. People are starting to realize we don't know anything. There are. I realize genres don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this last one we're going to read today is from Declan, who writes in and says, "Dear James and George and the Kitchenettes." Oh yes, I remember the second time writing in but i just got to say that it's super incredible that you guys have only been doing a podcast for just well, over a year very kind. it hit Thank me you. and i was like wow thought they'd be at it for years there's just such great class to your dis- dissection of film that makes us all feel at home and included in your thoughts of what's going to be oh, on the marvelous new you. movie landscape with every show you do thank you for creating content i genuinely look forward to and look out for every week wherever in the world i am oh, no worries okay. he's a spy he's a billionaire he's a spy i feel like he's just teeing up his sniper and he's just listening to our review of avatar yeah like, okay i've got to put you guys on hold he's like ben affleck and the accountant just like Oh, I see, yes. My question comes as I've watched your awards for 2022. Brackets, adored it all, by the way, giving me loads of new films to watch and appreciate along the way. Please go and check out the Pop Kitchen Awards if you haven't seen it already. And I got thinking about a film that I adored in 2022, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm -hmm. It really took the world by storm of work, by word of mouth alone, really. But have you guys seen the Daniels' first feature film? Swiss Army Man is a story of a suicidal man who, when trying to hang himself, finds a dead body who allows him to rethink what life could be about. I first first watched it in 2020 as I was having a change of career path, family issues, lockdowns, and all the different conundrums. Mm. And, it's my, and it's my favorite live action film because of its originality and absolute madness. There's something to me about going where no one else dares to go that just inspires me at my core. The Daniels connect like that on a different level. It very quickly became a comfort film with its premise, incredibly organic score, and genuine beauty to its filmmaking. If you have any thoughts on this film or a film of your own that you found becoming a comfort film for you unexpectedly quickly, I'd love to hear all about it. All the best for 2023, Declan. Swiss Army Man. Um, we have wow, great email. Also, really like great email. You distinguished you. it as uh, my. He said his favorite live, live action, action film. film. Like wow, so you 
probably someone who watches a lot of animation. Yes. Um, we have spoken about it briefly before because you really like it. I'd seen it, yeah. When everyone, everything, everywhere, all at once came out, I had really enjoyed Swiss Army yeah. Man. And I'd kind of been sort of waiting for them to do something else because Swiss Army Man is so out there and yeah. interesting. And I really remember Daniel Radcliffe doing promo for it on like, you know, your Graham Norton's yeah. and Jimmy Kimball's. And he was trying to explain this concept. Yeah, the and it was so course, out there. Yeah. And it was like that sort of like, what the hell is this? But I think Daniel Radcliffe always does really interesting work. Yeah. So I checked it out. And yeah, it's like those kind of things. It really, do, it really is um, surprisingly uh, sad and emotional. And when you just mention you know, going through a hard time and how that film could almost act mm. like a sort of slightly yes. odd therapeutic uh, release because it is so weird. Yeah. And I think now I've seen everything ever all at once. I think the Daniels are quite good at taking something completely absurd, throwing a bunch of noise and craziness at you, but actually like having something yeah. really sweet and quite sad at the heart of it. Yeah. And I think it kind of sneaks up on you in that way. I really way. think I need to rewatch everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 of course I've seen it, but I was like, whoa, what a film. Yeah, there's almost <laughs> so much to take in that you're like, yeah, I'm going to give it a second yeah. out of that. He, he likes with Sammy Man, but didn't love it. Uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I, find it, I think I find it a little bit tiresome after a while. I, think the, I, I really like the bus secret, the school bus yeah, sequence. I yeah. thought, I was, I, when that happened and like all the dialogues being laid in the different scenes and, and that moment happens, I was like, well, what? This is just so yeah, nuts. weird. Yeah. And it's like really, it, it just really works for me. Sure. And I think uh, Paul Dano is oh, as ever. fantastic in it and completely out of it. And sorry, just the other crazy weird thing about Swiss Army Man is that Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano are singing the soundtrack and they're like drumming it. Yes. Because they are telling the story, you know, he's sort of talking to him about life and yes. love and desire and they start by like drumming and they're just, ha, ha, ha. And there's all the bit with the Jurassic Park thing, which I don't know how they get that in there. Yeah. It's like sung by them and that's what kind of builds and layers over each other. But I will say like, if you did love everything everywhere all at once, like I know so many people listening to this did, do go and check out Swiss Army Man because mm. it's probably, if you like that style and you've never really seen anything like what the Daniels are doing, go and check out Swiss Army Man. Totally. Okay, James, let's end this episode with uh, a game. We've got a new game today. Ooh. This game is called, well, it's actually based off a real game called Big Screens Little Sentences, which is made by yes. Professor Puzzle. And you can purchase that online if you so wish. That is not an ad. It is just, I'm being fair to them because we are we need reading games. from it. <laughs> so, James, can you guess the film from the plot? I'm going to give you the plot in one sentence and you okay. can see if you give me the film. Okay. okay. All right. James. Yes. Guess the film based on the plot, okay? okay? Three, two, one. An orphan billionaire becomes a creature of the night. Uh, Batman, Dark Knight. Batman begins. Correct. A well-placed bomb ensures that public transport arrives ahead of schedule for once. Um, a well-placed bomb ensures that public transport arrives ahead of schedule for once. Speed. Oh, it it's on a my, bus. It's on my okay. Writer gets a bad case of cabin fever. Writer gets a bad case of cabin fever. There's a big clue here. It says cabin in brackets or hotel fever. Wow. Writer gets a bad case. Come on, James. Wait. <laughs> Come on. It's The Shining. Oh, fuck. Okay. An astronaut tends to his crops while waiting for a ride home. The Martian. Correct. And last of all... Corporate thief proves that dreams really do come true. This is written strangely. Corporate thief proves that dreams really do come true. Okay, imagine a thief, but he's like really corporate. Like he, he operates in the corporate world. Okay. 
and that dreams really do come true. Dreams really do come true. <laughs> dreams, James. <laughs> dreams. And he's the thief. And he's and his dreams. Dream thief. Do I really have to tell you what it is? <laughs> Inception, you muppet. That's really strange. I know. I know. Corporate and that dreams really do come true. Also, what, what they don't come true. I know. I know. It's, <laughs> it's very misleading. That's not that great. I don't know who wrote that. Um, also, and the astronaut one is is really easy. That was really hard. Was easy. The uh, the shining one. Cabin fair enough. Fever, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was thinking of the film fourteen oh eight with John Cusack. Is that a dream thing? Uh, it's a lot of dream logic. Okay. Let's do no some the more. one where he's like the cat the cabin fever one. A writer gets. I'm cabin gonna give fever. you a second round. Okay. Way. Let's do it. Okay. Right. Round two. Okay. Guess the movie based on the plot. Okay. Three, two, one. A vocally gifted girl deals with being kidnapped by talking to furniture. She's vocally Alice gifted. She, close. She's vocally gifted. She likes to talk to furniture. Oh, no. Yes, she talks to furniture. <laughs> talks to furniture. And furniture oh, talks sleep, back. Sleeping, sleeping Beauty. No, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, whatever. Ugh. A reclusive adopted teenager discovers the importance of a haircut. Now, I'm not going to... None of us are going to get That's tangled. We, neither of us have seen that. <laughs> no. Okay. Good girl, high school student, discovers the power of a leather jacket. Good girl. Cool. Oh, uh, Grease. Yeah. Do you know what? <laughs> slacker seeks justice for a ruined rug. Easy. Slacker seeks a slacker justice. seeks justice for a ruined rug. Uh, you pissed um, on the, my rug, uh, man. The, uh, Big Lebowski. Yes. And last of all, a group of rowdy and forgetful friends are late for a wedding. Um, the Hangover. Yes. Now I'm just going to say, I mean, it's a lot of like things that we, take didn't, me we, off didn't, we didn't write this this game. Can okay. Hang on a sec. Yeah, you can. We didn't write this game, and there are I. I there's some just of them some, are really odd. Some uh, they're just written in a way that no one would ever describe the plot. It's I, like when I did I haikus. Way, yeah. way back when. I understand you've got to be mysterious, but you know, good girl high student discovers the power of a leather jacket. That makes it sound like that's the premise, but it's not. She doesn't put the leather jacket on until the end. Yeah, that's like starring with a completely different fan like, like, That makes me think of Like Mike, where he gets the shoes worn by Mike. All right, give me one. Come on, let's see. Okay, it says easy on this, okay? Ready? You have to guess the film based on its plot in three, two, one. A sick child is entertained by a grandfather's inconceivable tale. Uh... A sick child, inconceivable tale. That is uh, uh, Princess Bride. Yes. Okay, this you'll get this. Touching space eggs causes severe chest pain. <laughs> Alien. Yeah. <laughs> um, culinary gifted mouse helps to violate variation kitchen health code regulations. Uh, ratatouille. But like, but why, 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 why is it written why is it like red that? code regulations? That's not... Okay, this one's apparently hard, but you should get it. Man goes to unreasonable lengths to avenge his dead dog. John Wick? Yes. Man gate, cra- man gate crashes his wife's office Christmas party. His wife's office Christmas party? Yeah. It's oh, a- Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. Bad weather expected the next day after next. Day after <laughs> The tomorrow. day after next. Oh, <laughs> come on. Okay. High school student teams up with physicists to drive over the speed limit. Oh, back to the future. That's easy. That's really obvious. Man makes an offer too good to refuse. Godfather. Jesus Christ. Two men receive a briefcase for their boss. Pulp Fiction. Members disobey the first and second rule of Fight their club. club. That's really... The way you're slamming these down. Sorry. Reporters try to decipher the meaning behind a media tycoon's uh, uh, last words. C- Citizen Kane. A mission beyond the bounds of possibility is completed. What? Uh, impossible. <laughs> mission Impossible, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Hey, mixed reactions. You know what, James? You know what I'm thinking? Do you know what was we, good, though? You know, we need we to did go back to, to write them. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we need to. We need to go back to writing <laughs> our own to... games. Sure, Thank could, you so much, Professor Puzzle, for this. And we, could, we could use it completely ourselves. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That was a game we tried. Well, I, weird descriptions. You know, we should do that 
ourselves. Yes. We will, we will write no, it, but no I like dis- the idea. No disrespect to the people who made it. Thank you very much for giving us this idea. However, um, we would phrase those differently. Those In the spirit of laziness, if any people out there know of really good film games yeah. that are somewhat original, I don't care if you'd, like, heard, to see us you'd like to see, and you want to write us some rounds of a game, you would be oh my, my favourite person yeah. of the year. Please send in your game ideas to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We're always on the lookout for new ones. We've got the classics. It's a community. We know they work. If you it. have any game ideas, send them our way. As always, thank you very much for listening yes. to this episode of Pop thank Kitchen. You. Don't forget that we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. And please make sure you're signed up for us on Instagram, on TikTok, on uh, you're a YouTube subscriber, you've, you've, you've given us a like and a star rating on Spotify. Please just uh, give us your support. We really appreciate it. And spread the word. Send a link to someone. People are going to be like, 2023, looking for new podcast recommendations. You're going to be like, I've got you. I know sorted. for a fact that only 30% of you watching this right now are subscribed to our YouTube channel. So if you've ever enjoyed a piece of our content, do us a huge favor and go over to our YouTube channel and click subscribe. It really does make a huge difference. So thank, thank you. you. See you next week. See you next week. Thank you.